Welcome to the Gotta Pop podcast. My name is Buddy Gott, and I'm the founder and chief editor of Plethora of Pop, which can be found on medium.com or on plethoraofpop.com. On this show, I'll be talking each episode about new and classic things I've been enjoying from the worlds of music, movies, television, books, and some other things too. Sometimes I'll have guests on the show and sometimes I'll be doing them by myself. I thank you very much for joining me today and I hope you enjoy the show. Hey everybody, welcome to Gotta Pop. On today's episode, I'm thrilled to have a special guest with me. This is someone I know very well from working with her on Medium and reading her works there and elsewhere online, and that is the very talented Charlie Cole. Welcome to the show, Charlie. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, it is my pleasure. And Coincidentally enough, with what we're going to be talking about today, we are recording this on June 1st, and as everyone knows, June is well known. If you don't know it, then you should know it. June is Pride Month, so happy Pride Month to anyone who is listening to this in June or any other time. And we're going to be talking about um, queer representation or LGP, let me try that again, LGBT plus. You. You. Oh, gosh. Okay. <laughs> I said I wasn't going to be editing this. You know, I, I, I can't even read my own. You think writing. As writers, I'm reading my own letters. script that I screwed up on <laughs> LGBTQ plus representation in in films and television. And I think it'll probably be primarily films here. But who knows what Charlie and I are going to get into. I did include some television on my Oh, well, that's perfect. My my research and in my just going through my own Rolodex of what I've watched over the years. <laughs> All right. Well, that seems like a perfect segue here. Let's get into uh, some maybe some of the earliest things you remember watching on TV or movies and, you know, have, how those maybe affected you. Yeah, um, I think <laughs> it's, it's funny because I when thinking about this, a lot of films and pop culture came up that maybe are not explicitly about queer representation, but are have since been kind of become beloved and iconic to like the queer community and stuff. And a big movie that was a really seminal part of my childhood was Moulin Rouge. Oh, <laughs> and it's okay. like, it's so, it's such a campy movie that it's like, I, I, I have, it has like a big queer audience to it and everything. And I don't know, like I, there's like a stage adaptation now. So I don't know if, if maybe they've kind of like leaned into it in any way and modernized it in some sense, I don't know, because it is about a heterosexual relationship, mm-hmm. but you know, it is a big musical. It's super flashy. I mean, it's Baz Luhrmann. So, you know, Elvis, Romeo plus Juliet, all that kind of, that kind of guy. And he's always very gaudy, very campy and everything. And I just know for me that um, I walked away from that, having a crush on both Nicole Kidman and Ewan McGregor, which <laughs> maybe was a, a beautiful awakening for mine as a child where I was like, yeah. So, I mean, as, as far as that's concerned for me personally, that was probably a big, that was a big movie in terms of me kind of under, understanding my identity, but also just of my love of movies as well. It's a kind of a perfect amalgamation of, kind of maybe why I became obsessed with stuff as much as I have because it was just like both sides of my like pop culture obsession and me kind of discovering myself more kind of came coalesced within one film there a little bit so you know thinking of my childhood that's probably the one that pops out the most okay and yeah that was a gosh it was a usually successful movie and 
and like you said too, it uh, well, it had some big name stars in there between you and you and McGregor. Yeah, I know how to speak, and Nicole Kidman <laughs> and others, and of course Baz Luhrmann, already at that point well known and respected as a director. And also with mm-hmm. that one too, it was um, from a major motion picture studio. I can't remember which one made it, but because of a lot of times, you know. Um, gay representation in movies comes from smaller films, a lot of indie films where maybe they don't get as much recognition. So that was kind of a big blockbuster that Mm. was a little different for its time and very groundbreaking, I would say. Yeah, you think of it getting like award recognition. I mean, you can think of something as recent as Moonlight and why that was such a big deal when that won the best picture, I don't know, like four years ago now, maybe. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, it was made there was a big deal made about that then too, because even, even though that was only a couple years ago, it still felt like there was this kind of drought <laughs> as far as those kind of stories being kind of slapped with the prestige label that you get when you're like Oscar nominated and everything. And so, you know, if you're talking about connecting that to like Moulin Rouge being kind of popular, but still not kind of, you know, hanging with the big, I mean, that, that movie was nominated too. I don't think it was nominated for best picture, but you yeah, know. I can't remember. I do remember. You're right, though. I remember it being mentioned several times, like during those Oscars and other yeah, awards. I think Nicole Kidman was nominated, maybe. Yeah, I think you're actress. right. I think you're right. And um, yeah, I gosh, I think I remember. When was that? Late 90s, I think. Something like that. That was, I think, 01 is when it came oh, out. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, that sounds about right. I was close. Uh, I'm acting like I don't know what I totally know, because I know how old I was and like that I was too young <laughs> to be watching that kind of <laughs> But, you know, you said something a couple of minutes ago that I think is true. You mentioned how there had been maybe a drought of films related um, to LGBTQ. Yes, I can speak. You'll get Um, there. You'll get there. I know. I will get there. And (laughs) and I think that's true. I mean, you'll see that. We had, prior to this show, talked about some movies that we were familiar with. And Mm -hmm. one that we had both talked about was Victor Victoria, which came out in the early 80s. And that yes. was very popular. I mean, incredibly popular. And well, like, was it? What well, was it popular when it came out? I wasn't alive, but like, I remember when I came upon it, and I was an adult when I came upon it. I was, I had never heard about it, and I was so surprised that I had never seen it anywhere. I was like, where's this movie been my whole life? You know? so. <laughs> it was, I remember very clearly when okay. it came out. It got a lot of attention because, for a couple of reasons, I think one was the director of it was Blake, Blake Edwards. Edwards. Yeah, and he had done uh, just so many comedies over the year, probably most famously the Pink Panther movies. Okay. He was the one that directed those. And he was married to Julie Andrews. Right. And, of course, she was already well-known at that point. And I think this is one of the reasons it got a lot of attention at the time, too, was because right. it was such a radically different role for her. Yes. Here you've yes, got Mary Poppins so and Maria Von Trapp <laughs> playing this woman who pretends that she's a man and... You know, and then one of the one thing I thought was quite interesting, and I remember it getting a lot of attention at the time, was I can't remember the character's name, but there is a she has a homosexual friend. Hmm? Toddy. Toddy. Yes. 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 And he was, you know, he was very kind of flamboyant. And uh, he was the actor who played him was Robert Preston, who many years earlier had starred in The Music Man in the 1960s. And he was very prominent in theater and many movies over the years. And that was a much different role for him. So I remember the movie getting a lot of attention for those things. And it's it's also an incredibly like sympathetic portrayal of a gay man as well. Yes. He's one of the main characters, his relationship with Julie Andrews in it. 
is like beautiful and is like the heart of the film and the movie spoiler alert like ends with his big moment like on stage it's like one of the most joyous celebratory endings ever and i love it it's just him like completely laughing on camera it's like real laughing too the whole production is kind of like falling apart because he's uh He's uh, doing her the the number that she usually does. That's but right. But she's like, get, she's given the life up. And so he's like, okay, I'll go on stage and take over your role. And he, it's not like meant for him and stuff. So it's kind of like falling apart. And it's just like, instead of like being upset about it, they're just laughing and having a good time with it. And it's like, it's so beautiful. And I feel like, especially where queer stories are concerned, they often are missing a lot of that joy. So I just, you know, I never fail to just walk away from that movie with a huge smile on my face. I love it. It's really a great movie, and I'm, I'm anxious to see it again. I saw it's on one of the 50 million pay services that I pay for, one of the streaming <laughs> things. And so I want to check that out soon. And it was interesting. You know, you, you mentioned, uh, we mentioned Preston's great portrayal of his character. Mm-hmm. And, you know, back then, that was pretty groundbreaking, too, because most of the, you know, queer characters that you saw in TV and movies were strictly for comic relief. You know, you're coming off of a period there, too, where I don't know if you're familiar with the TV show Soap. It was a show that Billy Crystal uh, was on. Vaguely. Yeah. And and he had he played a character named Jody on there who was homosexual. And that was actually oh. it, 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 he was really good on there. And they did a pretty good job of it. They didn't make just like a for the time kind of a thing. Yeah, for the it's, time. And yeah. they, there were characters yeah. uh, who were you know not kind to him but they right. always portrayed him in a good way where he wasn't just some walking joke they gave it a, a you know a, yeah. a good character but around that time too you had uh things like three's company where anytime there was jokes about uh, well i don't know how familiar you are with that but i've seen a, it okay yeah there's a character named jack and to live with these two women on the show he had to pretend that he was gay so the landlord would allow him to live there and it just became always this running joke you know where this one landlord would always call him tinkerbell and things like that so it wasn't the i was gonna of... say did they ever explicitly say the word gay it was always they always had like those allusions to it, like you said with tinkerbell or like hand gestures and stuff but yeah yeah was, i think I, yeah i was like did they, they never actually call him that it's interesting how they tried to stay away it's like back in the 50s when they couldn't say pregnant like it's so ridiculous. exactly <laughs> I, mean, I think if they did it was more towards after the show had already been on for a few years and you got closer oh. to closer to the 1980s and yeah actually they probably didn't because it's funny i've been going through the mary mary tyler moore show and i actually just read that there's one episode early on where uh, Cloris Leachman's character's brother comes into town and he, and you know, they end up revealing he's gay by having Rhoda say he's gay, like just flat out like that. And I read that that was the first time that that word ever been used in that way in on television. And that was, oh, that's really well. interesting. So I would imagine that, you know, it beat three's company to it, even though three's company's premise hinged on the entire thing. So <laughs> it's, just, yeah. it's wild. <laughs> Oh, that's pretty interesting trivia there. I didn't know that because yeah. yeah, that probably would have been would have beat it by a few years. That, that was a great show. I got to watch watch that and check out that episode. But yeah, a lot of the TV shows back again. I know you weren't around then, but I was. You know, growing up watching. I was a kid in the seventies, and I would see those things. And you know, yeah. unfortunately, I remember being in grade school too, and. <clears throat> myself and other kids would sometimes, you know, make jokes like the ones we heard on TV, you know, even if, uh, remember on Three's Company, for example, Jack used to like, you know, to trick his landlord, he would like bend his wrist a little bit, you know, and, and you would see kids my age doing that. Not, I mean, my gosh, not even 10 years old, not really even knowing what we were doing or that we were being, right. we just were trying to act like these characters on TV and at that time thought it was funny. And well, this is why representation is important. 
Yeah, exactly. And thankfully, it has changed so much since then. You know, and we don't want to act like pop culture is educational, but it's very educational. You just demonstrated in which way it can be negatively educational. Yeah. And, and one thing that I think is sad, too, is that, uh, you know, I'll see, you know, characters on TV and in movies now where it is a much more common thing to see, you know, good, positive representation on screen. And I feel happy seeing that, you know, because I know it's so much different than it was when I was growing up. But then just the other day, and I, I see this multiple times a week, unfortunately, online, I belong to several mm -hmm. uh, like Facebook groups and other groups that have to deal with classic television. And sometimes you will see a picture of someone. Are you familiar with Robert Reed? He played the uh, father on the Brady Bunch. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, it came out after his death that he was homosexual. He was closeted mm -hmm. throughout his life. And every so often his picture will show up in these groups that I belong to because he did play a major character on a very popular TV show. Whenever this happens, though, like there was a picture of him the other day with um, the actress Julie Newmore, who played the Catwoman on Batman. And it was a nice picture where you saw him kind of gazing at each other. And there must have been no kidding. 50 comments there saying, oh, I bet he would have liked to have been with Batman more. It was all these gay jokes. And. It's I like, mean, really, we're not over this yet? I know, like, exactly. I'm like, this man, this man died in the 1990s. Um, you're still making, I mean, and there's people making crass jokes like this in 2023. I mean, it, it kind of is just, it's so. It's lazy, it's boring, it's tired, guys. Get over it. No one wants to hear it. Exactly. And I was thankful to see there were actually some people, several people saying that in the comments as well trying to just, you know, put these people a little bit in their place. It's just, like you said, it's very That's lazy. That's just people trying to get a rise. And yeah, the best exactly. reaction is to not give them a reaction. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's so, funny you mentioned Julie Newmar, though, because she's associated with a very well-known queer movie, too, to Wong Fu. Yes. Yeah, so I the, never the saw that. The subtitle is called What Thanks to You, Julie Newmar. So. Yeah. Did you Have you seen that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've never seen that. I always wanted to because I, I, well, I don't even think she's in it, is she? <laughs> I think no, it's, no, no. It's because uh, Patrick Swayze's character, like, like, heralds her as, like, such an icon and kind of wants to emulate her and everything and like you know finds her picture in a bar or whatever and takes it with his character and kind of yeah it's like a token he he, he or she kind of carries around with her and stuff and it's um it, it's somewhat like problematic a little bit but there's also there's a, a friendship that blossoms between Patrick Swayze's character and I'm forgetting the character's name that he plays and Stockard Channing's character, because they end up in this kind of rural town where you think they're going to be bigoted and stuff. And the whole thing's like, oh, they kind of make them, they open their minds a little bit and they actually, you know, warmly welcome them and everything. There's an exchange of culture there. Um, oh, wow. But they end up saying like, she kind of is just like, I know that, you know, you've been a drag queen or possibly trans this whole time. And I don't care. I see you who for who you for who you are. And I love you for it, and I'm glad I met. They have like this really beautiful moment. It's just like, oh, wow. About a lot of people could could stand to hear that in their life, and I love that they included that. Yeah, know, that's wonderful. At the end of it. So, but when you said Julie Newmar, I couldn't help but just be like, hey, because that's really my only reference for her, to be honest. So. Well, yeah, that's understandable. <laughs> that's understandable, and um, you know, we were talking. I can't remember when that. I think that one probably came out in the '90s too, didn't it? Too long for it came out. Well, because it gets compared a lot to another, a fantastic one of my other favorite movies is Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Oh, um, okay. And there, there's similar plots where it's drag queens kind of going cross country for to get someplace and all that. And uh, I think they kind of came out back to back. 
And so I think a lot of people kind of see Chu Wung Fu as kind of the the lesser sibling of that one, but I think it's right. just it was bad timing a little bit. Um, yeah, I don't I, think they were kind of aware of each other. They just happened to come out at the same time, but um, I, remember I think they're both worth watching. Yeah, I, I never saw uh, Tu Wong Fu, but I did see Priscilla. And I remember both of them get a, getting a lot of attention. I think Priscilla may have been more in some ways critically acclaimed because yes. uh, you know it wasn't as much of a big blockbuster. And Patrick- Priscilla's like legendary now. I yeah. Think. I think it's definitely kind of legendary status. It was quite groundbreaking. Well, that actor was fantastic in that too. Terrence Stamp, he's well known. All for of them. And yeah. Hugo Weaving and Guy Pierce, which was like, it was Guy Pierce's like big breakthrough, I think. Oh my God, I forgot Guy Pierce was in that. Wow. He's he's very like, he's a little stereotyped a little bit. Mm -hmm. You know, the kind of like shrill, really effeminate, you know, super over the top kind, but he's amazing in it. Um, and I think that's kind of what got him noticed, but definitely, you know, worth rewatching if you haven't seen it in a while or... Well, I, 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 think I think I saw it's... it probably within a year after it was released when it first showed up wow. on cable. So I think watching that now in 2023 as a, a middle-aged person, as opposed to back then, might be a well, little Well, I rewatched it recently and it's just sad because I feel like when I first watched it, it felt like a little bit of a relic. But when I watch it now with all the like anti-drag stuff, it felt suddenly very relevant again. And it just, that broke my heart a little bit, but it also yeah. reminded me why these stories kind of endure and still remain important and it's good that obviously they were something that was recorded for people to be able to go back to or know that are that are there you know right. as a form of support or maybe comfort maybe and it's crazy you know not to get too far down that road but just all, all yeah. the anti-drag stuff that is out there now i mean you would think you see things where you think things are changing you know mm -hmm. but then i don't know there's just so many people who just seem well you pick the wrong topic if you don't want to get some political because just oh i know i'm not, I'm not saying i don't want to go there totally but i'm just saying <laughs> but, uh, to me it's it's heartbreaking to see i mean yeah, I, yeah. You know, that I, I was hear... that yeah that was really hard to watch recently again and see how suddenly prescient it was again and i was like well this sucks i don't <laughs> i don't like how this boomeranged around to borrow an australian term because it is an australian movie <laughs> yeah and um yeah i'm looking at uh some i'm just looking at a list of movies i had made here famous you know movies over the years and one i don't think we've talked about yet but i think was uh really uh, incredibly popular was the birdcage from the yes. 90s that was uh, another one too well yes while it was a comedy and uh it was actually i know based on a musical a famous musical uh and i i'm gonna mispronounce the hell out of this look because it's french <laughs> Ooh, yeah. get your french on try it's la cage aux Falles, isn't it something like that i'm, I'm, I'm assuming i don't think the x is pronounced <laughs> yeah i know i was being a little silly but, yeah la, la cage a fall la cage a fall there you go that sounds okay. right that sounds good but, we'll go with that well, Okay, yeah, and I know that was actually a famous 1978 foreign film, and it was okay. based on a big musical. But uh, the bird cage, the bird cage was, I, I guess, in a lot of ways, groundbreaking because you had these two main characters in it who were homosexual, and you know they had this. Um, was it their? Oh, they had a son. That's right. Yeah, who yeah. fell in love with the woman who later was Ally McBeal. Yeah, that's. Callista <laughs> <laughs> Flockhart. Yeah, Callista Flockhart. What who a I like name! Watch. She's great. But uh, yeah, that was a really good one. And um, how about, is there more? Well, I know there's one that we just talked about that I watched the other day that I liked a lot. Yeah, how did, did yeah, yeah, you said you liked it. How I did, yeah, and, and it's it? uh, Call, Call Me By Your Name from just 2017. 
And if people aren't familiar with, I think most people listening to this have probably heard yeah. of it because it was incredibly popular, but uh, yeah. it was, uh, now here's another name I might not know how to pronounce. It's Timothy. Luca Guadagnino. Oh, Timothy Chalamet. Chalamet. I was saying yeah. the director's name. The director is named Luca Guadagnino. But oh, okay. Yeah, Timothy thanks. Chalamet and, stars and in it. Yeah. yeah. He stars as Elio and then uh, Army Hammer is in it as Oliver. Did you say unfortunately? Well, a, a little tainted now. He's had some some uh scandal he has had some scandal hasn't he yes um yeah this is actually the first thing i've ever seen him in and for whatever reason i i wasn't uh i don't know i think i had some sort of attitude against him before maybe because i've heard of he's he's big big rich kid you know yeah so it's kind of a little bit of that air about him but but uh, but but he he was good in his role i'll give him that he Mm -hmm. was he was good kind of reminded me a little bit of john ham are you familiar with John? Hayes? Yeah, I can. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I a, can see that. Like a I, younger, I can get that. like a younger version. They're very of like all American looking. Yeah, about them and stuff, you know. So yeah. 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 So maybe the Oliver grew up to be like a John Hamm type. <laughs> <Very nice. laughs> but uh, boy, that was really a good movie. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. People aren't again. A little bit of the plot is it takes place in 1983, and you have the 17 year old boy Elio played by Timothy Chalamet. And uh, it was funny, as soon as I heard that, I'm like, well, gosh, I was 17 in 1983. He, it was in oh, the summer of yeah. 83. And, uh, so Elio it, would be your age now. Elio would be my age now. And, you know, mm-hmm. I, I was watching it, you know, it's kind of thinking of that as I'm watching it. I'm like, oh, this is pretty wild. You know, this would have been, you know, it, it could have been someone that I knew or hung out with or hell, it could have been me back then. They, I believe it is because it's based off of a book. And I read the book after I saw the movie, but it's been a long time. So if I get some of this wrong, but I believe that the film is set slightly before the book because they didn't want to have to deal with the AIDS crisis. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. You know, that's going to, that's I'm going to have to factor into the discussion, unfortunately. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. But, but yeah, because, but it's, it's important to this. The, the absence of it is important to the story because I think a big part of, the way that Luca Guadagnino structured it and how the departures it makes from the book was all in, in service, I think, of making it very idyllic and very kind of utopic in a way, mm-hmm. because you just have these these kind of guys like just kind of squared away from the rest of the world and beautiful kind of countryside Italy and everything with like the most wonderful parents imaginable. And so it's it's I think, again, it comes back to that, like you rarely get queer stories that aren't about like someone dying horribly or isn't centered around homophobia. I mean, there's obviously a little bit of that in this Mm -hmm. film and all of that, but I think it really tries to center um, just creating and fostering an environment of acceptance of warmth and love and like why that's important. And because you can see the difference in what that's made between Elio's kind of upbringing in life to Oliver's. Right. Right. And that's, that is interesting about, you know, like you said, how, how they, maybe placed it a little bit before the AIDS crisis all began, which it, to my best memory was roughly around 1985. I mean, I remember mm-hmm. that period pretty well because I, I was at, I was in my late teens at that point. And well, just, just hearing all of it as it was going on. I think one of the first things I remember hearing about the AIDS crisis was the death of a musician named Ricky Wilson, who was the guitarist for the B-52s. And I remember, I distinctly remember hearing that on the radio and just wondering, I'm like, what is AIDS? I don't know what AIDS is. And then you heard about famous people like Rock Hudson, you know, who died from it. And it was just, oh boy, yeah. I'm sorry, say that again. 
Freddie Mercury, right? Oh yeah, Freddie Mercury, of course. And just yeah. unfortunately, just, uh, too many for us to list here. You know, it was just yeah. so so horrible. And yeah, it's interesting that, like you said, they they didn't touch upon that in the movie. But in some ways, I I would imagine that angered some people. But but other people probably looked at it upon I, like you just said, where you're seeing a positive representation here. Yeah, I don't I don't think. I mean, yeah, I'm sure there were some people, maybe they're people who were more like just purists of the book and wanted mm -hmm. it to be like to the T of what the book is, maybe that. But I I would wager, and obviously I don't speak for the entire queer community, no, but I would wager <laughs> more people would just be happy that we got like a really happy, loving portrayal of a relationship than anything else. Because again, so often our stories are just like drenched in tragedy, yeah. you know, and 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 we still kind of struggle to not have stories about that. So whenever you get ones that seem a little bit separated, it's always, it's very much like, seems like it's deliberately a choice, which is nice to not go there, but it's also just a breath of fresh air. But if you do want to kind of get into the AIDS stuff, I think a great show that handled that is Pose. I'm sorry, say it again. Is Pose, P-O-S-E. Oh, I'm not familiar with Pose. Yeah, it's a, it was a Ryan Murphy show and it came out, it just ended only a couple years ago. I think it ran for like four seasons and it's um, it's known for being the show with has like the most cast of people of color, but also the most cast that's almost entirely comprised of trans uh, characters and actors. Oh, really? Um, I think the biggest two that probably came from it, it are um, MJ Rodriguez and India Moore. And um, it takes place in 1980s uh, New York City. And it just like follows their lives around and it's examining the kind of ballroom culture and stuff at the time as well. And it's just all about, you know, different trans lives and also all queer lives and stuff. But uh, one of the main characters also is a nurse. So is on the kind of front lines of the, the AIDS crisis and everything as well. And I think, um, I mean, I'm not trans, so I'm not going to be like, I can't speak to that lived experience, but from, from myself watching it, I thought it was a really beautiful kind of portrayal. Uh, I learned a lot and I think it's kind of, it would be a great, again, educational tool in a way for some people who aren't familiar with the, those kinds of lives and that kind of world. Well, that sounds great. Did that run for a while? I think it was about four seasons. I don't oh, okay. remember the exact, but it was fairly recent, so. Yeah, I had never heard of that. I'm writing that down in my trusty little notebook. Yeah, it's a, do you know, do you know Billy Porter? Uh, I know the name. Tell me why I know that name. So, I mean, he's been a well-known actor and stage actor as well, but he has a, a big role in this. And I think that kind of, kind of pushed him into the public consciousness a lot more. He really kind of like exploded after being on Pose. And oh, so okay. I think sometimes maybe people know it by his association with it. He's fantastic in it. And okay, stuff, yeah. and he, he's really kind of come out of it, maybe the most on fire, so to speak, from it. So I didn't know if maybe just by his name, you might have been somewhat familiar, but yeah, he's, he's in it as well. Oh, okay, great. I am looking forward to checking that out. I know I know him. I'm really going to like see his face you, if, later. Yeah, I was like, if you see him, when you see him pop up in an episode or something, you'll be like, oh yeah, he's, he's great. He's fantastic. <laughs> well, that's great. I'll check that out. And, you know, we talked about TV. I think um, there have been, of course, some famous television series over the years. Probably one of the most famous is Will and Grace for... Mm -hmm of you know having you know gay representation on tv and that maybe <laughs> again you've got one you've got one character on there who was really always over the top and that was jack who um was funny i don't know if you know maybe every 
uh, queer person out there was crazy about his character. <laughs> Again, but, it was like at a time where like you were, weren't really getting that. So it's like kind of take what you can get almost of the, yeah. of the thing. So, I mean, again, I was quite uh, young. I don't think I really, I didn't watch that show until it was already over. Yeah. I don't think, but um, so I can't speak to kind of how the, the public received it like in the moment, but it definitely is kind of just like, I understand the context of what it was existing in, which was like, Probably not much queer representation right. at all on TV at that time. Yeah, there so, really wasn't. I, you know. I want to say that was like maybe 99-ish when that came out, 98, 99, something like that. Didn't they have like the first gay kiss maybe? In that episode where Will's like on, supposed to be on like live television and he reaches over and kisses someone I or something? I think so. I could be making that up, but I feel like that yeah, might have if been. It, if it wasn't the first, it was definitely one of the first. One of, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I had forgotten about that. But I remember that being a big deal at the time. And, you know, that kind of I'm makes laughing me... at the, the Deborah messing part in the movie Bros that we briefly talked about as well, where she's like, oh, gosh, you yeah, do that, you do want a show once and that's all people. Associate. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's I think that's kind of an interesting kind of um, hindsight lens to put on it, you know, of like, you know, talking about how people felt about it at the time and then where we're at now of like maybe it feels a little quaint. Yeah, know, yeah, it's true. It's true. And, and I think that they were, well, I, I, I can't remember everyone on the production team of this show, but I know at least one of the producers uh, was gay himself. I think David oh. Crane is his name, uh, writer and producer. I think he also worked on Friends. But mm -hmm. uh, so it wasn't like just uh, like a lot of shows, unfortunately, like somebody even like, uh, I'm thinking of some of the uh, shows from the 70s that starred primarily black actors and actresses where there wasn't a single black person that was on the production team or the writing staff you know will and grace wasn't yeah. like that you know you that's a very good point it is also as equally important to have people behind the scenes who know who have this lived experience and that's you know uh, also what they did well imposed what it was also primarily show run and written by um a trans woman and a, a, a gay man i believe so um it just you, I don't I you don't necessarily need to have that all the time or whatever, but it makes all the difference. You can feel it in the DNA of the show that this is coming from people who really know what they're talking about and yeah. really understand it and can present it in a way that someone who lives that life doesn't live that life never could, you know. Yeah, you can really tell sometimes, you know, the authenticity in some of those shows and movies where you can just tell like maybe if they go for cheap jokes or stereotypical things sometimes yeah. that uh it's people who maybe shouldn't be writing the stuff or making not enough nuance a lot of times they're very just like one dimensional like yeah or like you know being queer is your entire personality there you go kind of thing. right and, you know you mentioned a movie a minute ago that we had talked about before and we, we may as well just talk about now and that was one that just came out last year and it was bros at front that starred uh billy ike is it eichner is that how you say his name yeah. I think, yeah yeah billy eichner luke mcfarlane it was produced by uh Judd, I just am not pronouncing anything right. Jack, Apatow? Apatow. I was going to say Apatow, but yeah, Apatow, who's done, gosh, so many movies over the years. And uh, yeah, it was interesting. The movie got a lot of press when it came out because it was from a major motion picture studio. It was being touted, I remember a lot, as being one of the first gay rom coms. That's how they were, it was being promoted. And uh, it, uh, it came out and I remember thinking it looked good, but then it, it actually got a lot of press because it didn't do quite as well, I think, as Billy Eichner in particular had wanted. I remember seeing him being, you know, understandably upset. Any actor or producer is going to be upset if something doesn't do well, but him just saying, you know, gosh, for this being as groundbreaking as it is, I'm paraphrasing, obviously, you know, he, he expected it to do a little bit better. And, um, uh, 
I don't know. I, think, I, I, I saw yeah, it and liked it. But you go ahead. I, I enjoyed it more than I did because, like, I'm just not a big, big rom com person in general. So I kind of always am a little skeptical when I head into any story like that. Um, but I ended up liking it a lot more than I did, and it, it was much more um, inclusive than I thought it would be. Like, you really saw that they tried to include a lot of different people from a lot of different queer communities and everything, which was cool, and got actors like who you know were in the queer community and everything. Um, and I also saw that he got a lot of negative attention for his own press and for kind of complaining about it. Mm-hmm. And but I, I I can understand because I I again I'm, I can't speak for Billy Eichner, but I would imagine a lot of his frustrations born out of and this applies to kind of female driven films too and any minority film really is that you get a lot of times you feel like you get one chance and if it doesn't do gangbusters like that's it you yeah kind of, it's just like the chance vanished like it's like one movie that has queer people or like women or whatever, it has to be the monolith for everything. It has to be the litmus test for everything. You don't right. get like two overs or you might not for like another decade or something. You yeah. know, like, there's, there's a lot of pressure riding on the fact that like this has to perform or like, that's it. Like, see, we gave you guys a chance and it didn't do well. So no one wants to see this. Bye. Like it's, those we are don't do me- that for certain other demographics and uh, it needs to be said. <laughs> Those are really good points there that I, I hadn't thought of. I mean, like I said a couple of minutes ago, obviously anyone who was in the, involved with the production or making of any kind of movie wants it to do well. But you're right. That's a lot of pressure there where you might where he or anyone else might have thought, OK, well, I, I just ruined it for everyone else because this this wasn't a big hit. And that's I'm not sure he had a lot of pressure on his shoulders for it to perform well because he understood how important or what a kind of flexion point that it could be for these types of movies going forward and you know we kind of saw the fallout of that when when maybe he didn't get the result that he was hoping for yeah and that was a shame because you know i, I brought it up but i wasn't in any way myself putting him down for his reaction i just said yeah yeah, yeah totally yeah yeah that got a lot it got a lot of press it, in some ways it got mm-hmm. more more it got more press than it should have um yeah but like you i enjoyed the movie quite a bit um I particularly liked uh, Luke McFarlane in that. He he was really good. I I don't know if you are familiar with this one too, because again, there's a slight age difference between us. <laughs> no. Hey, I love older stuff. <laughs> there was a show called. I, I, well, we mentioned this actress earlier. Calista Flockhart was on a series called Brothers and Sisters, and mm-hmm. I think that may may have come out maybe somewhere in like. I don't know, 2005, somewhere around there. But uh, one of the characters on there was played by Luke McFarlane. He was the love interest oh. for uh, the character who was um, Calista Flockhart's brother. And they ended up being married. And I Is thought that he... Matthew Reese. I like yes, Matthew Yeah, Reese. Matthew Reese. Yeah. From the Americans. Woo-woo. I have yet to see that. I've got to see that. Great, great show. He just had a cameo, too, in Cocaine Bear. Have you seen that yet? Did he? Well, his wife's in it, so... Who's his wife? He's with Carrie Russell because they got together on the Americans. Get out of town. I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. I knew, I knew they were the in the Americans together, but I didn't realize that they were married for yeah. real. Oh, how about yeah, that? Yeah. Wow. Well, that's a, that's a funny movie. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, so McFarland, I liked him from Brothers and Sisters. And, you know, I was happy to see. I, I thought maybe he was had dropped off the planet after that you know? i i didn't i wasn't familiar with him at all i looked him up after it and i found out that he was also like a staple in hallmark movies which people felt was like possibly intentional casting to have him in this kind of rom-com since they were trying to kind of put uh queer queer characters in these traditionally like kind of heterosexual situations that we you know that you're used to seeing with 
quote unquote typical rom-coms or whatever right. and like so it's like oh yeah let's put this hallmark guy in these kind of things it might be a nice kind of subversion or something of it and i was like oh, that's kind of cool <laughs> well i remember there were jokes in the movie that um billy eichner's character had said he was he felt like he was dating like a tom brady because he had that kind of <laughs> all, all yeah. american good looking jock look to yeah, him yeah yeah and, and what's cool casting yeah real good casting and just just a plug for luke mcfarland here he's also in a uh new series that's on apple tv he's he plays a supporting role there called platonic that stars oh, wow. um oh gosh who the heck is in that seth rogan uh, yeah seth rogan and rose byrne he plays rose oh, I love rose byrne. <laughs> oh she's fantastic he plays rose byrne's husband in it and uh yeah it, it, he's i'm happy to see him working a lot he's, he's a very talented entertainer and Boy, there's just so many other things we can. T- I know you've got a list. Any any movies you want to talk <laughs> well, about? Well, the the other the only other kind of things that I was that I thought might be important to discuss was kind of like the history about queer representation of, especially with the implementation of the Hayes Code and everything, and mm-hmm. like, yeah, how we kind of got to the point that we're at, or the different kind of ebbs and flows that queer representation has had, like in the industry itself, even like behind the scenes and everything. Um, so do you know what the Hayes Code is? I assume most people are somewhat familiar with it, but I'm... Uh, I could use a little so, more educating here. So if you could give me a little <clears throat> breakdown on so, Yeah, I mean, I didn't, I won't go super in depth, but the Hayes Code was, that was established in 1930 and then went into like full effect in 1934. And before this, like movies didn't have really any rules around it. It was still quite new. And so you actually, I think people think of, olden times as being super regressive but before 1930s like you had more women behind the camera you had more queer characters in it I'm not saying that they weren't portrayed like super well but and and you had more just kind of diversity and inclusion overall not like to like super high levels but it was there in a way that would vanish when the Hayes Code came into effect and so and because of that some people started getting all riled up which caused them to implement these rules and uh, some some of the things that you, you were prohibited from depicting were things like suggestive dancing, lustful kissing, ridicule, ridicule of religion, and then what's most important for this conversation is discussions of sexual perversion because, you know, homosexuality was still illegal then and it was yeah. also still considered like a mental disorder and stuff. So uh, if you, a lot of the things is kind of like, because they weren't mandatory, but it was kind of like you do like under the table you need to have them if you want to be successful or get anything greenlit and so it caused people to get really creative about there like that didn't stop people from including characters that were uh queer but they really had to like i think a, one maybe one of the most famous examples is salminio's character from a rebel without a cause Plato, i was just thinking of that yes where he's pretty much like I think for modern eyes we can see he's pretty obviously telegraphed as being gay. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was as easy to I, I I'm sure it was picked up on then, but um, but you know his his um relationship with James Dean character in that film and the way that he views him is very much like a queer lens. And also it's you know James Dean was supposedly a a, a bisexual man. So yeah, it's I've also that's that. a little loaded into it and everything. And so it, it's things like that where it's like he wasn't the character wasn't explicitly, but they kind of would just kind of do hints and little things to like signify. Um, yeah, it so it, it is interesting. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there, Charlie. No, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say it's interesting, you know, from 
my standpoint, I, I'm in my 50s right now, and I saw a lot of those movies like Rebel Without a Cause when I was a kid. And at the time, I would not have even picked up on that. I just, you know, he yeah. said, I didn't pick up that uh, Sal Mineo's character had any. Well, it's by design. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I've seen that with other things. There was, gosh, there was something the other day. It was more of a um, mystery or intrigue movie from the 50s that was a well known one. And I, gosh, I was wish it I could. Rope? No, it wasn't. Rope was also, because uh, Rope's oh. also, the two characters are basically gay, a gay couple in that. Oh, um, okay. Who is it? It's Farley Granger and John Dahl are the actors. Oh, yes, yes. And their whole kind of plotting and everything is there. Yeah, they're, they're, it's pretty well known that they're supposed to be a gay couple. You know, actually, that may have been it because I was reading an article about uh, some gay actors from that time period. <clears throat> and they, I, I think, wow, that's amazing out of all the well, movies. It could also be them. Strangers on a Train because I think a lot of people assume, um, oh my God, what's his name? The character's name is Bruno in the film. It also has Farley Granger in it. I can't remember the actor's name now, but the character of Bruno is people, I don't know if it was ever like confirmed or not, but people suspect that he was supposed to kind of be written as a gay man. But that shows you the villainous trope that a lot of gay characters fall into as well, which became a thing because a lot of times with like Hayes Code stuff, you would end up having kind of villain coded characters. And so this fell on queer characters as well as female characters. And that's where you get like the femme fatale archetype. It's like you couldn't, if, if a woman was kind of acting outside of her strict gender norms, like she either had to die or be punished somehow. Like they could never exist. It's, it's they could really... never continue to exist or get away yeah. with something, you know? So it's like if, if a woman dared to kind of be powerful or be, you know, speak up for herself or like, you know, be with someone out of wedlock or something, God forbid, like, you know, they, they would usually... Uh, make an example out of her in some way. And that often happened with, you know, you have um, Peter Lorre's character, I think it's Peter Lorre's character in the Maltese Falcon. Oh, yeah. Is uh, typically seen as being a, a gay character, but he's also the villain of that. And then it was kind of a big tipping point. In, and like a lot of people talk about the villains in Disney movies as well, often right. being coded as gay or queer too. And that definitely became like the way to portray a gay person for a while, it felt like. And, and, so it's almost like even if they were thinking of ways to have queer characters, it was still like super yeah. problematic. Yeah. And they would often make them a little bit more on the flamboyant side on screen. And um, yeah, it's interesting. You're, you're, <clears throat> excuse me, you've brought up some things that have made me like flashback to a TV show that you would not remember this. It was a short lived show. Are you familiar with the actor Tony Randall? He was um, uh, somewhat. Yeah, he was on the TV series The Odd Couple. He was in. He was like a a buddy to Rock Hudson in some movies he did with Doris Day, that kind of thing. He did a series in the 1980s. I think it was the early 1980s. Well, let me let me backtrack a little bit. First, there was a mm -hmm. made-for-TV movie that was a pilot for this TV series, and it was called Sydney Shore. And he oh my was... God, my favorite show ever. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? That, yeah, that'd really be something. <laughs> I don't I think like it's anyone's stuff, favorite. TV. But that I like obscure stuff, but you stumped me on that one. <laughs> well, there was a made-for-TV movie with this character Sidney Shore, who is a middle-aged homosexual man, and they made that very clear mm -hmm. in the movie. And he became friends with this woman who had a young daughter, maybe ten years old or so, and they ended up living together and had this happy existence. And, and that transitioned in, into a TV show. However, when it became a TV show, this I remember specifically, this was on NBC. NBC was scared of making his character gay. 
They did not think people were going to tune in. So everything that was in that original made-for-TV movie was dismissed for the TV show, and they just called it Love, Sydney. I think it lasted for a season, season and a half, but uh, it was kind of groundbreaking at its time, but maybe some, in some ways not a good way because it was showing just how the network was. What year, what year was that? It was sometime in the 1980s. It might have been mid-80s. Okay. But, because, uh, you know, you're talking about, like, how problematic, like, portrayals of it were in the 70s. And since we were talking about the Hayes Code, I think it's important to mention that that didn't end until 1968. So Wow. Yeah. So, the, the kind of, I imagine there were some residuals and it kind of lingered on. Like, that, that it made, you know, that, that left its mark even when it was kind of, you yeah. know, then they moved to the rating system that we still use now where they're like, okay, we'll let audience be the discerning ones instead of us imposing it on people but it did it did its damage enough by then where you know people yeah were basically if, taught how to approach these things at that point and i'm sure like you said even you know over 20 years later or close to 20 years later there was that, that was still around you know if people who maybe grew up in the industry still had that in their heads and they were not as open-minded as they should have been and inclusive as they should have been and you know it, it's a shame but um yeah well, I, I, one I have to mention if we're going to talk about this uh -huh. And that has to be Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh. Oh, yes, we will definitely be talking about the fantastic Rocky Horror Picture Show. But it's going to be in the next episode of Gotta Pop, in which I'm happy to say I will be continuing my conversation with Charlie Cole about queer representation in movies and television. Some of the movies we'll be talking about in that one will be Velvet Goldmine, Pride, and and then they danced among the tv shows we'll be discussing will be sex education we'll also be talking about a couple of productions which were let's just say on the controversial side including the tv series sherlock which there have been some controversies talked about and written about evolving queer baiting and we'll also be talking about the classic movie basic instinct in which well let's just say that one or two characters from the queer community were not portrayed in a very good way. Anyway, to check all that out, please tune into the next episode of Gotta Pop. I thank you for listening to this episode, and I hope you have a wonderful day.